You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. And we're back. Welcome back to an... I sound like... <laughs> I don't know why. Like I sound like uh, I'm like because I still have a little bit of like a cold. Sure. So like, and we're back. Thank you. I hope everyone's been continuing to breathe. <laughs> Is everyone still breathing through the commercial <laughs> it's break? It's been a struggle for us. Yeah. Welcome Last back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake, and I'm Rochelle, and I'm autistic, and I'm not. And we've been out. We, you know, it's really funny. I will say that we've um, we've got more listeners. This month that we've only done one episode than we've had in any other month. We've done one episode? I thought we were only two weeks behind. No, well. Maybe two episodes. No, this is the second episode this month. Oh, dang. Yeah. Well, just so you know, I know we haven't recorded these the last two weeks, but I've definitely been having these conversations with you in my mind because they, you know. Oh, boy. I can't wait to hear how they they go when you start talking. (laughs) Well, we've had a pretty (laughs) eventful two weeks it's a shame we, we weren't able to get these done but we had good yeah. reasons well actually. we'll have plenty of content to, we won't have to do all the filler stuff we normally where i have to save the show with all my dick jokes <laughs> <laughs> speaking of dick jokes just uh, in case anyone was wondering um i did do stand up yes and if you're a member of the group then you uh have access to to that on uh, an unlisted youtube link so please enjoy and if you're offended uh, please keep your offended opinions to yourself <laughs> because I killed it. You did. So I'm actually going to be going out to do a, an open mic tonight. That's right. That is tonight. So that's my plan. So I need everyone's help so I can become a famous uh, comedian. I don't need to be a celebrity, just a famous comedian. Does hey, that make sense? Is it, that ironic or does that uh, make no sense? I'm I, very tired. Sorry. I'm with you. Okay. I think you did. And by the way, congratulations. I thought your set was really amazing. I did not get to go. I was um, going to say, how would you know you weren't there? I saw the. I'm a member of the Facebook group. Ah, ah. So, so I had access to Now you're to on the, the Blake Furtick bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> toot toot. I had tickets to go to the show. I mean, I live in the area. Um, unlike. And then our little human being decided to get sick. Yes, poor guy. He was exposed to COVID again. Yep. And uh, but tested. he's all better now. He didn't actually seem like he had COVID. Right? Well, he tested positive for COVID, but it wasn't as bad as the first round because his antibodies were fighting it. It's just it still took him a week and it trashed his digestive system and he's had a nasty cold and yeah. now he's got hives. Like, it's not like his body didn't fight off a virus. It's just not the 14 day, you know, like we live in hell version of it. It was like, the, oh, my God, we're doing this again version. And I missed the show. We yeah. were in. No, I, I, I miss... Uh, you know, interacting with everyone. We have, you know, dozens of conversations about <laughs> about our episodes. Um, but back to me for a minute, if you don't mind. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that transition was beautiful. Actually. Wasn't it? That it was, was pretty, nice. It was pretty nice. Yeah. Um, no, I just, uh, I'm, I'm excited about... I just well, I mean that's to me it's a big deal. I mean this t- for everyone else. It's like, oh yeah, you did stand up. That's cool. No, or like I'm really think... happy for him. Hey, this is my moment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um <It's> sorry okay. <laughs> i'll just, just drink my coffee the man is talking no i'm just kidding i am so joking right now you are i you am are. so joking go right ahead now. stay oh my on God. point okay. stay on point trying back to you all right back to me damn it um what was i saying <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to preserve i made well because i made my my pretend sexist joke and then no, i was all offended saying, by myself i was like so stupid let, let me man. do this for you Blake, if you do not know Blake personally, he has been funny his entire life, like his entire life. 
but last week achieved a, a momentous goal, which is to get on stage and and put together his set and actually be able to be funny in front of a group of people as a stand-up comedian. And it was a successful step. You did very, very well. So it's Thank a you. huge accomplishment for him. Despite everything, you, you know, Thank you're you overcoming. Thank you for speaking so eloquently in my stead. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> no, I know. I just, I, I was trying to get there, but uh, you got there faster. So that's fine. You should be my, my, um, my documentarian. Not, no, that's documentarian. That's so stupid. What's what's that thing called when when you because now now that I'm a celebrity are you gonna need an agent? No, no, not an oh. agent. But like when you when you write like your life story, what's that called? Like a oh, bio- the, oh biography. But oh, it won't you be an autobiography. I need to do the yeah. Well, it's a, it's an uh, autobiography when you write it about yourself, but it's just a biography yeah, when someone else words. writes it. I know what you mean. It'll be the unauthorized, partially authorized, authorized bi- biography <laughs> of, of Blake Furtick. I okay. don't know. None of that made sense. I no, but it, it's to me that this is something that I've been. Since forever, I've like I'm like I'm gonna be an entertainer. I want to be an actor. I want to be a director. And like I just want to entertain people, mm-hmm. and uh, so I did for for seven and a half minutes or so. It's a lifelong goal. I went way over my time, and now I have to cut it all down to uh, a manageable time. It's supposed to be five minutes or less, you know, for most open mics. Right. Um, but I had to save room because people were laughing so much. I wasn't expecting all those laughs, so I'll have to cut some of that stuff down. Anyway. Um, the whole reason for doing this is not to toot my own horn. Um, it's been tooted plenty. Uh, I've, uh, I just wanted anyone out there that if you have, I mean, literally, like I watched, like, you know, when you watch the Oscars, you watch any award show, people always get, you know, there's always that one artist that's like, um, oh my God, um, I can't believe this. I've been wanting to do this my entire life. And everyone said I was too fat and ugly. And here I am. And, you know, Everyone else should be able to do this. And I feel like I'm like, oh, yeah, I should say the same thing. Anyone that's listening, you don't have to be fat and ugly. You can do it even if you're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. Self-esteem I, builder. Yeah. But no, I, I, my whole, my roundabout way of saying that um, if you have a goal, you, you have to do it. Don't wait till you're 37. Right. Don't let the anxiety to take do over. It. Um, get yourself some pills. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, 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 um, well, it's said, not, it's it, it really became, it was, it was a therapy tactic, right? When, which was to set a goal right. to, you know, be doing stand up by a certain point. So I decided to take a class, which sounds like I paid someone to make me funny, which is not what happened. <clears throat> I was already funny. You and, um, they, but they give you pointers. They kind of show you how to move around on stage and you know be your awkward self and everything and so um a big shout out i'll go ahead and give a shout out to lace larrabee and um holly ballantine i think that's how you say her last name it sounds um, right that was the teacher and the ta for my class um which is laugh lab so if you do if you live in i mean it doesn't have to be that class specifically obviously i live in atlanta and that's where that class is it's typically an all-female class and she has started to allow cisgender white men to have their chance to shine in the spotlight so nice. yay me um but no it was, it was an awesome experience and uh, got a lot of great feedback and some not so great feedback <laughs> which uh, helped me kind of like adjust my set because I, I don't really have a filter if anyone knows um from especially earlier episodes uh right anyway Am I am I talking too much or too no, little? No, not at I all. I can't tell. Okay. Not at all. But actually, I mean, I think it's a good point that you're telling the story because the backstory that that is not obvious, but does really matter, especially in this forum on a mental health podcast, is in order to achieve last week, 
you overcame a decade of mental health challenges where you were being influenced into depression, into anxiety, into in a you know medically induced rage with in a, incorrect medication, um, you know, suicide tendencies. Like you, you went through hell. And in order to achieve last week, you... The stand-up writes itself. The, you overcame every single one of those obstacles, in the middle of which we moved from one state to another. You changed jobs. Two states. I went to You're California right. And I went... You're right. So you've moved Colorado across the country. And then to Georgia by myself. Right. We've, uh, we've had multiple, you know, losses of parents and grandparents, miscarriages we brought a baby into the world we've you know you have accomplished that goal on top of every single one of those transitions and it wasn't easy but how if you had to say one thing about how you managed to get from that point to this point what would you credit it the most to I have a mouthful of food now. No, no, I'll keep talking. Perfect timing. No, Sorry. wait, no, what's your question again? Let me chew and swallow really Just fast. think about the last 10 years. Because <laughs> That's it? part of the depression that you found yourself in five, six, seven years ago was the fact that you had been unable to accomplish this particular goal. This particular goal is not just like, oh, I want to do this someday. Like, it was part of your identity. And when you hadn't reached it, that identity, it just... It seemed to crash a lot of the self-confidence you were building, your self-esteem to move forward, your ability to design your future and go get it. I mean, and on top of it all, you've been through now, you know, evaluations and medication changes and years of working directly with medical and mental health professionals. And then you t you talk about taking this comedy class like, oh, I you know, I just took a class and here I am. But... But even the steps you took to sign up and take the class were monumental on the journey. So thinking back of the last 10 years, what helped you the most get from then to now? The, well, first of all, let me say that, uh, thank you for that question. That's a great question. If I can remember it, I'll answer <laughs> it. Um, in the, <laughs> I, uh, I think that it, there was something about forcing myself for honestly, like the thing about forcing myself to pick a date. Okay. A deadline. Super helped. Okay. Yeah. Because it's always like, well, I'll do it someday. I'll do it someday. And then I was like, okay, by July I need to do, I need to be doing something related to stand up. And before July, I signed up to do the class and then I had to That's wait. That's right, you did. So then I just started writing jokes and trying to like figure out how to kind of compress my stories into more digestible humor. Sure. And then I was in the class and the first day was like, okay, you're doing one minute of stand up today. And I was like, oh uh, shit. Did not think that we were going to be doing stand up in this class. Like, that's how stupid I felt. <laughs> I whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to be doing jokes in front of each other now? I wasn't ready for this. And no one in that class is shy. I mean, oh, like, really? no, I mean, maybe a couple people, but for the most part, it's like extroverts. Oh, man. And and me. Ouch. So I'm getting up there and I'm you like, You never All right. told me that week after week? 
Pretty much, yeah. So first week was a minute of stand up. Second week was I mean, two I minutes knew, of stand up. I knew you were doing the minutes, but I didn't know you were like the only introvert. No, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I don't. How do I know the inner workings of these other people's minds? Right, but they didn't appear. No one really seemed like an introvert. But I mean, again, like who knows? Everyone else could be sitting around like me, like going home, going, "Oh, this sucks." I mean, right. the thing is, it didn't change. Like every week, I felt worse and worse. You did. I noticed as I got closer to when I actually did it, and then I did the show, and then on stage. I was super nervous, like my hands were shaking, and I was like terrified. And then, like it, my you you rehearse so much, or you you've heard your joke so many times that by the time you actually perform it, or at least for me, I don't even find them funny anymore. And so I'm just I always wondered when you watch a comedian, I'm like, how do they not laugh at their own jokes? Like that's right. hilarious, but it's because they've heard it a thousand times in their own head over and over and over again. So by then they've brain rehearsed it so many times that their autopilot functionality can take over well it's kind of autopilot but it's also just like when you get up there like i started you know my first joke i can i'll just say it is um, it's up to you yeah no it's um so last year i was diagnosed with autism which was a surprise to nobody which i thought you told with great timing and the audience from that moment on i had the audience because they started laughing and i was like is that really that funny it was the way you said it, though, because you paused and you were like, which was a surprise to even I had time to think, which way is he going to go with this? Oh, and then you're like, nobody. And it was funny the way you set it up. But at the same time, you'd given even in those however many words, you know, seven or eight words to open the set with. You did it with you. You funneled all at least from what I saw in the video, you funneled all that awkward nervous energy into just allowing yourself to be awkward and so in those eight words they got to know you really fast and so right. when you said nobody they're like oh yeah we get it because we can see it yeah and you and didn't hide who you were i was well, proud of you for that kind of hard to well um i was nervous the entire time and then i got off stage and then uh you know i was like well that, that did go pretty fast and then i real i found out later i didn't realize how how long over my set i went Oh, like they didn't have time. the lights for this. No, they didn't do that. I mean, because we we did light the lighting through the entire show, mm-hmm. like for you know, um, you know, one minute you'd get the light at like thirty seconds for like the weekly classes, the weekly classes. for practice. Okay. But then it was like once you got it down to the point where it was like a five minute set, mm-hmm. then that was it. So I had mine. It was just over five. It was like five minutes and three seconds or something like that. And Lace was like, "Oh, you know what? Just leave it." And then I get on stage and because I had waited for people's laughter, it was two minutes longer than it was supposed to be. No way. So. Wow, that's cool. Um, so, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was cool, but it was also like everyone's sets were really long. Right. Everyone ran long. So I was like, maybe was I really waiting for people's laughs? I just. or I, I thought there slower. were even times. I mean, you guys can watch the link and comment in the in the post yourselves and let us know. But I, I didn't think that you waited too long. In fact, I think there were one or two jokes where you even had to start talking over the laughter. Yeah, I did step on them. That's, they call that stepping on laugh, stepping on laughs right. when you keep, when you keep talking. So I cut my seven minute set down to four minutes. Well, when you're getting ready for your Netflix special, you won't have to do that. They'll just keep filming. They'll just keep filming. That's, That's true. right. Yeah. Um, any, anyway. And I mean that in all sincerity, like that's, you just keep going. Right. You just keep going. And I'm proud of you because... I just had to keep telling those jokes over and over and over again. <laughs> keep, you have so many more funny jokes. In fact, you were the highlight of Thanksgiving with your... Because you have this ability to stay in the moment, which is really a credit to how much you have honed in on staying present in the conversation, which is not an easy feat, yeah. you know, with 
with the way autism affects social emotional reactions because the the autism and ADHD fight each other. Like there's memes and stuff absolutely. online all the time. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, someone with autism, it's like, oh, they categorize everything perfectly, and they're like you know, data from Star Trek. Right. And then they're like, oh, you have ADHD, so you can hyper-focus. And then there's like ADHD and and autism, and they're just like, oh, it's a battle in the brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're talking about running two completely conflicting programs at all times. Like, which one wins? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Um, and they're on two completely different sides of the neurobiodiversity scale. So, I mean, that right there just shows you that the nerve wires are like, on one hand, they're nervous energy. And on the other hand, they go to freeze. And it's just, it's bouncing back and forth between the two. But again, that's why I give you so much credit for being able to stay in the moment. Because it's your ability to stay in the moment and stay present with the conversation that allows you to facilitate transitions that are funny. You know, and not everyone can do that. People get stuck in their egos or their insecurities or they're just not paying attention, you know, and you stay really connected to the moment. So I'm really excited to see what you do next. I'm going to do the same things for a while until you build more. But your joke <laughs> repertoire is huge. I do have a lot of jokes. And I'm excited to see those. But I got in trouble for some of my jokes in class because they were well, like, well, you know, that that's okay. You had to 20, 20 them up, 20, 21 them up. Some uh. of those jokes came from, you know, a decade ago they just needed to be raised i still think they're funny damn it well maybe but you got to make them a little more universal the right crowd i guess i don't know anyways um so let's uh do we want to talk about we were going to jump into so let's talk about transitions yeah it's a good topic actually we're here let's this is a great transition very (laughs) comfortable (laughs) jump into um so Kate was uh, asking, I, I just we have a couple of great comments, some people, and I appreciate everyone that, oh, anyone that comments on the Facebook group, thank you so much. Um, anyone that's on the Facebook group, thank you so much. If you're not on the Facebook group, it's called You Don't Sound Autistic. Go ahead and join the join the group, join the conversation. Uh, we basically, we allow anyone, riffraff, anyone can come in and, and, mm-hmm. and join, just be nice to each other and stuff exactly. like that. You can um, read the rules, but you know, they're pretty... Yeah, they're pretty chillaxed. Yep. Um but uh, Kate was saying if we were comfortable with it, there was a conversation that we never started or a story that we never started. Finish the story you never started, she said. Um, but basically us talking about what it was like to date one another back in the day, especially before I knew that yeah. um, I was so cool and had autism. It was totally different. As or Kate am autistic. See, that's attest. the thing. I, I Even I, someone that is or has whatever you want to call it autism because you there's all so many people just get butthurt about like the way you use the words right because you're like no you you wouldn't say i am cancer you'd say i have cancer you know what i mean but, but then you're like autism but, but, isn't a but disease. i know that that's what i'm my point is that there's other you know like you wouldn't say i am this you'd say i have this but you'd say like I am, but then what people with autism say like, but I, that is part of my identity. And it so is. It's and it's thing. part of your neurological. It's okay that your that brains wire differently. The truth of the matter is everybody's brain wires differently. It's just that autism All has I become patternistic don't enough. Don't get so caught up in the, in the verbiage of it. I don't. Some people do though. Some people get really. Yeah. Um, I'd say everyone needs to just relax because buff, uh, buy it. we are in. Calm down, okay. neurotypical. I. I'm on the neurodiversity <laughs> scale too, but oh if you boy, watch, if you watch Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary makes a very strong point, time and time again, that it is expensive to educate a population. He calls everyone cockroaches. I'm not referring to that part. Oh, okay. 
but it we are still I think the I think our community needs to remember that we are still heavily faced with educating everyone else. It's still not something everyone fully understands. And so let's approach it with some compassion as we continue to share what these what it really means, you know, to be autistic and to have ADHD and you know, anxiety and depression and ADD and, and, you know, go on and on because what we need is more compassion and less egotistical fighting. And, and I say that because it, you know, you, I have seen some very sharp fights about terminology and I understand that there's a, a, a um, Everyone like, wants to get it right. The puzzle piece is a big point of contention for a lot of people. Yep. I don't agree with the puzzle piece. I do agree with the fact that the color, you know, representing autism is blue, but I don't, I just, but it's all perspective. Everything is perspective. And, mm-hmm. and the, and the truth is we don't have the population fully diagnosed yet. So many of the people that are fighting and combating things may or may not even know where they fall on the scale themselves. So I'm just, let's continue to approach things with more compassion as we continue to learn and understand more and more. All right. Now people want to hear about how we hooked up the first time. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Why don't you take it from the top? Or maybe I should take it from the bottom. We actually met on eHarmony. That's right. Which is not a very good site, by the way, anymore. No, now it's pretty much trash. But um, How would you know? I've had friends go on there recently, oh, and I've been disappointed okay. by the friends. results, so okay. I, I am not on it now. Okay. But no, I haven't been on it since I met you. Oh, well, that's good. Me, me either. Good. Yeah. I was one of many fish you were. No, that was on Plenty of Fish. I was on there. Oh. Um. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to formulate this so that it makes sense within the context of the show. Well, when did it start? Well, we started dating 10 years ago, right? We passed that this year. We did. Yep, 10 years ago. Yep. It was very different then. I mean, there are a couple of factors that are important to bring up when you're talking about how we were able to date 10 years ago versus where we are now. And one is age. Because 10 years ago, biologically and genetically, we didn't have as much in our bodies. So it's like the genetic load of stress and anxiety and sleepless nights and, you know, all of that stuff. It's, it, we're 10 years younger. So our, our physical bodies had more capacity to handle stress. That's an important factor. Yes. So we'll put that in one bucket. And then in the other bucket, we had a pretty, you know. How many buckets do we have? We have two. Oh, that's it? We didn't have a ton of responsibility in the early days. It was just, you know, you and me, we moved in together two months after we started dating. And it was literally just an empty apartment that we slowly filled with furniture and, you know, trip memorabilia and cats. And we didn't have the pressures of you know, an increasingly adult life. Like we weren't married. We didn't, you know, the babies and miscarriages, people hadn't started dying yet on us. Like we had, we didn't have a really stressful first few years. I was always stressed out. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) As a couple, we didn't. I mean, you definitely did go through some trying times. And (coughs) I think the first time I saw your depression um, was probably 18 months into dating. And um, it was a very interesting moment I didn't really know what to do with it and I didn't understand it was depression at the time I just knew you were really upset you know it was um all I really knew honestly was that it was mercury retrograde and I thought man this retrograde is really affecting him I had no idea it was depression but it was it was the February that you were deeply hurt and reflecting on um your stepdad okay and that was the first time I really saw 
What does this struggles. have to do with us dating? That was the first part of our dating where I started to see some of these struggles. That I was a real human being with feelings and emotions. You had No, it wasn't like that. It was that you had really deep feelings. And I didn't know that before. Oh. Yep, I, I was all surface level before that. <laughs> you were very funny, and you know, you were you were a good manager. So you were working a lot. I was working a lot. I um, quit my job and opened up a new business, and so you know, we we were when we dated, it was about having fun. We were seeing movies a lot. We were, you know, taking trips, and we had a, just a different life. We did. It was fun. What happened to you? <laughs> Hormones, age. Oh boy. I don't know. Yeah, now she doesn't like me anymore. That's not true. It is true. It's and it makes me sad. Oh, well, I don't. I would not phrase it that way. Okay, well, um, but as far as yeah, I mean, like just to go back to Kate's point of asking about like what it was like dating each other and all that stuff before you started bringing my depression into it and dragging everyone down. Um, yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons. That's actually a better question for Rochelle. I think is what what drew drew you to to a dating site when you're neurotypical for me it was like perfect because like dating online you can meet so many more people and kind of figure out how to almost like at least you could in the, back in the day now it's way hard because it's like swiping it's all the swiping left and right, right swiping. there's so much scam on there and lots of scammers but well, you had to but like back then it was like the main thing was just being able to meet someone online and then you could kind of chat with them see if it was worth meeting them and then meet them in person well, so before I started online dating, I'd come from a pretty sophisticated world of fantasy football where, where our whole network was online. And, and I was a commissioner of multiple fantasy football leagues, and I'd built relationships with these guys. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was comfortable in that realm of starting conversations online and then moving them towards meeting people. And, you know, finding topics we had in common was interesting. So at the time, I liked eHarmony because they did a really good job, I thought, of like bringing up a lot of different points of interest and then matching you based on your points of interest and um you know I just come from this world that was singularly focused into football and it was kind of annoying that that was the only point of interest I had in you know with with that community great if you just want to sit and talk about wide receivers all day but not so much for finding a husband so um you and I had a lot in common actually you you say that now but you've said that we didn't have anything in common Aha. You're being very black and white about it. <laughs> oh, not, caught you in a lie. It's not. It's not a lie. You're being very black and white. No, we have a lot. We ha- we still do have a lot of points of interest in common. That's not where I draw the line now. But okay. Um, if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. You know. Well. But we had. Um, we were at a different point in our lives where it was more about like, what are our ideals for the future? We weren't necessarily faced with the future yet. So we had a lot of ideals in common. Yes, we did. What we didn't have in common, (laughs) which we did not put enough emphasis on at the time, was how different our family backgrounds are. Yeah, Rochelle's family is awesome. And? Super great. I hope they're listening. (laughs) (laughs) I think we both have the same comments, but it's not because... It's just because our families are so incredibly different. I mean, you talk about being cut from different cloths. We just see things very, very differently. Mine is odd. Yours is super weird. Okay. Is it fair to say? We just come from different sides of the neurodiversity scale, I think. But Yeah. 
Um, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, we knew at the time that we were going to learn each other's languages. I came from a language that was far more about compassion and everybody kind of fits together and kumbaya and, and your family does a much better job at, you know, separation and boundaries and yeah, like normal shit. <laughs> it's only normal if that's what you grew up with. But, um, but we had also a great circle of friends. So, you know, it was, it was just a lot about enjoying life. You know, we had our places, favorite places to eat. We would go to brunch on Sundays and I'd watch football behind your head and we'd, you know, have that, we had our Bloody Mary routine and we had things that we just really enjoyed doing and we weren't focused so much on necessarily goal setting and goal seeking. We were just enjoying each other and we did that for quite a while successfully for about four years. We dated for four years. Yep. And then I was forced to commit. See, you should have, oh, really? you should have, well, everyone, you included, wanted me to pop the question. I did. And see, it seems now I shouldn't have. Come on. No, because we we were, as you said, you you said things were better before then. Things got We stressful. could still be dating. See, we should get divorced and just start dating again. Well. I don't know. The, the only problem is I couldn't date someone with a kid. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to deal with that baggage. Yeah, I'm sure you don't. I Your do ex might be a lunatic. I'm I'm a pretty sharp mom, so you know I'm. Uh, <laughs> wow, yeah. That was a joke, dude. Was, I know, I fun. know. I I laughed. I know you did, but you're giving me a look that does not. <laughs> I just look don't know how to friendly. come back from that. Oh, was that um, you? Just weren't expecting that, huh? I was not expecting that. No, see, that's that living in the moment thing I was that's talking right. about. Hit you with the left, bam, bam. <laughs> Didn't expect it. No, I mean, it, it's true. So for right now, we are separated. And, you know, for any of your future girlfriends listening, we are we do live separately. We are separated. We are really good friends still to this day. Um, Pretty good friends. I mean, we do a podcast together. That's, that's about it. Yeah. I mean, if you just subtract the 45 messages back and forth all day long, like we we're pretty good friends. OK. If you say so, I'll take your word for it. OK. Um, that's the empathy of me pouring out there. OK. So. We, I think things, things did really well because at the time it's like you, I admired the depth of your memory Past and your, tense. admired, I'm just putting myself in the frame of reference of, you of know, old Rochelle of those years. But you are I'm old not, Rochelle. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're picking me apart. Sorry. 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 Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm on fire tonight. That's why. Yeah. Well, it's because we have two weeks of podcast built up in us. But um, we would just spend most of our time watching movies or watching TV shows. We, you know, we bonded over the things that irritated us the most, you know, and we didn't really work to problem solve together. So none of that had um, factored into the relationship at the time. So it was easy to date. And yes, I knew that. You had a tendency to talk a lot. I knew that you were tangential. I didn't know what that word was at the time, but I, I knew you had a tendency to go from one topic to another and you could kind of like work yourself through a loop in a conversation. And, you know, at the time it didn't occur to me that I didn't ever get a word in edgewise. And I just listened and thought, oh, it's, you know, it's cool that he, he talks a lot. I like to be the person that listens. You've changed. <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have. <laughs> and it turns out there's medication for tangential <laughs> conversation, so. What are you taking? Coffee. Okay. 
keep keep going. Think it's working? Maybe. Um, what was it like when we were dating? So, you know, I think I've answered the question. Transitioning into marriage didn't... You make it sound like our relationship was so boring. We watched TV and watched movies and that No, we traveled to Vietnam. We had a great, you know, I, I didn't have anything... I don't have anything negative to say about our dating. I thought our dating life was great. That's why we got married. And our wedding was amazing. Like, we planned and executed a beautiful wedding. You should have been there. You yeah. should have been in the wedding. Yeah, I tried to be. Yeah. I was talking to the people listening. Oh. Yeah, they would have had a great time. It was yeah. a fun wedding. But then life hit us really hard three weeks after we got married, and it just put us into a whole world we weren't prepared for. Like, nothing in our dating life prepared us for what happened when as soon as we got married. Right. And What are you talking about? Well, they say there's those five things that are so huge because of how much change you have to go through in each event that you should really try and only do one per year. And it's get married, change jobs, move, experience a funeral because grief is, you know, <laughs> big, and then have a baby. And, and, you know, you and I are overachievers. We did all five in six months. Yep. You know, the, the hardest part was killing that family member. <laughs> right. But we got it. Okay. We got it in. My poor grandma. I was just, oh, sorry. I forgot it was your grandma. It I was know, my grandma. I was just kidding. Well, you know, it was, still wasn't easy. <laughs> we had nothing to do with that. But, um, well, obviously. No, I know. And so I was in. People have senses of humor that listen to the show, right? I hope so. I hope so, too. Yeah. But it was just, it was a lot all at once and we weren't prepared for that because for four years our dating life was just, it was just fun. We just had fun. We went places. We enjoyed each other and we nothing hardly, really changed. Nope. No one died. Mm -mm. Nothing, you know, it was just about enjoying each other. So but I think the most stressful thing we did was adopt cats. That was stressful for me because you kept lying to the complexes of where we were living about the fact that we didn't have cats. It wasn't my fault <clears> that the management changed and the second group wasn't aware that they weren't on my lease. No one ever questioned me about it. Not one person ever questioned me. I'm just saying, we had like a menagerie of we did. cats. Is that a word? I we, know menagerie I think is more like little glass I have no idea. Things. Anyway, I take it back. Um, but yeah, so... I'm trying to think if there's anything else to that point. I don't know. We just weren't really tested on our ability to problem solve. We weren't tested on how we manage transition and change. We weren't. We weren't. I think traveling was the biggest opportunity we had to see each other under pressure. And, you know, at the same time, it's like it was hard to tease that apart because we're sitting there in a foreign country, you know, with complete strangers. And it was... It, it was understandable to be a little bit stressed out. Yeah. So none of that really, I don't know how to say it. Like none of that really raised any red flags for me. I was like, yeah, it's a foreign country, man. Like, of course we're stressed out. And it, none of it was ever going to stop me from marrying you anyways, because I fell in love with you the minute I met you. So, you know, this was just destined to be, and I've always been a big fan of yours and I've always liked being in your life, that has never changed. Um, you know, the parameters of where we are now has multiple factors. It's not just about how we got started, and it's not just about where we are now. So, you know, as with life, it gets complicated, and there's a lot of emotions, and there's a lot of reasons, and it's, I may not have autism or ADHD, but, you know, Nobody's I, perfect. I think I struggle with, with empathy and hyper-empathy 
you know, <laughs> is something that has been overwhelming in my life. And we don't talk a lot about that part of me, but it was all consuming and it, it just broke me when I realized that I wasn't living my life for me at all. And that wasn't a knock to you or our marriage. It was just. And that's why you got rid of me. I didn't get rid of you. I just, I separated us so that I could, it had nothing, it wasn't even about us. It, my dad died. You know, is that one of those five? It was one of those five. It's always about you. Oh, this one was, okay? My dad died and it shattered everything I thought I knew about myself. Yeah. And the big reveals do that. I mean, I know you talked on previous episodes about how you felt when you got your ADHD diagnosis and how you felt when you got your autism diagnosis. And, you know, I don't know that there is a a doctor I can go to that says, hey, can you diagnose me with hyper empathy? But, you know, empaths are a big topic right now in society because so many of us are dealing with this without a ton of official support. But when you feel so deeply for someone else and are so eager and willing to try and resolve their pain that you ignore your own and you do that for a lifetime at one point when the glass cracks, you've got to sit there and figure out how to put it back together because it doesn't hold water anymore. And that's where I found myself. There's no pills for that. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no recovery for that. I mean, there's talk therapy, which I'm, I've been in, and it just requires a really strong friendship between two people to allow me to put a pause button on everything that I'm doing and try and figure out my life and my heart and at, the, and at the same time we're raising a child who has you know more than a couple medical challenges so it's not like I get to focus on this a ton but you know our current transition and how we've been able to make it through all of this is because we started out with a very very solid friendship and just like this podcast proves one of our biggest strengths has always been communication now that becomes incredibly difficult when it is flooded with emotion. And we experienced that when you were underdiagnosed and overmedicated and you were doing all of the right things and still flooded with emotion and unprocessed grief. And we add my unprocessed grief on top of it. And we add a newborn on top of it. And I'm in the most vulnerable place in my life as a woman trying to bring a child home and go back to work eight weeks later and watch you struggle and figure all that out. Like it's okay to take a breath and that's what we're doing. You should take your own advice. <laughs> I was that wrapping was, that That up. was a great example of Rochelle not being able to talk because <laughs> of me. <laughs> I have found my voice. She, w she is woman hear her roar. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, it was very difficult for me to find my voice, actually, especially in our relationship. Well, wherever it was, slip it back in there every once in a while. Just give it a little tappy-tappy. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, no, I'm glad you're able to uh, express yourself. You clearly love doing it. <laughs> I, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make up for... I'm not. I'm I just would, let me be... Let me be like, I was never one to stifle you because it was you came into the relationship i was always like what the hell like why are you always like 
bending over backwards for everybody. True. And I'm like, I don't, but I, I'm like, I don't want you to bend over backwards for me. It's true. It's true. <clears throat> it was, but it, that's the point is that it wasn't about you. This isn't about. No, I know it's not. I'm just saying that. The one thing I'll say that you did that was really awesome. And even I called my mom. I was like, can you believe? Because in my programming, I'll call it when you're totally unaware of why you make decisions and why you do the things you do. When you were like, uh, don't fold my clothes. It's okay. Like, don't want, you can wash them if you want, but like, but don't fold them. Like, and don't put them away. Cause kind of like you do it wrong. <laughs> I was like, he doesn't want me to do his laundry. This is freaking awesome. Like, but you drew that line with me. Yeah. And it was the first time that anyone had drawn. Now I, I think the lines between us actually got drawn a little too sharply sometimes. And, and we, we failed to come together in some areas because we didn't understand necessarily what was happening, but we did not understand how important certain patterns or, you know, knowing where your own stuff is or having it folded the way you need it to be felt folded or whatever. Those things are incredibly important to you. And all I knew was that, oh, he doesn't need me to do that for him because I was raised to do all of that for someone. Right. Now, looking back, I've, I'm actually coaching people who are in relationships that have a similar um, trend as ours and one party is dealing with intense undiagnosed you know neurodiversity and the other party is in the hyper empathy state and this topic of like folding clothes and getting it wrong or putting dishes away and, and it causing fights is a real thing people other people still deal with it and, and the people I'm coaching they get super offended they're like oh my gosh like I did this nice thing and I folded his clothes and he, and he undid all of it. And I put all his dishes away and, and he undid all of it, you know, and, and it's, it can be jarring in a relationship. It, you know, what's jarring is to come home and have the entire living room rearranged. Yes, I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, but I didn't know that was jarring for you. Yeah, you did. For me. No, I learned. I learned because the fights ensued. But for me, it was also equally jarring to not be able to improve something that sat in a just a little heads up instead of just like eh, i'm gonna move the tv upside down and put it on the ceiling and put yeah, the, not that drastic put the couch in the other side of the room i did learn but then i'd have to give you a month's notice hey just so you know this day on the calendar true. i'm gonna change this yeah no, i know i would no it wasn't a month it wasn't a month's notice and you wouldn't give me a month's notice you would just do it and be like well you just have to deal with it when i was ignorant to how those changes impacted you. Yes, I, I did make those mistakes. And it, but at the same time, I wasn't trying to do it to ruin your life. I was doing it to try and improve mine. And that just became an internal struggle and a clash. And um, probably one our listeners are also familiar with because it's a struggle. You, you are deeply resistant to change. And I crave change. I mean, I challenge status quo and you're like, don't move my stuff. And I, I, I have developed so much more compassion for why you feel that way I now understand you know the short-term memory issues and the comfort with knowing where something is when you when you put it down last I've developed that compassion because you've taught me but at the time that we ran into those roadblocks I had no idea it would bother you so much mm -hmm. until you came home and then you were a you know volcano about it for the next three days hardly and, volcano well it took me that long to find where i'd put everything <laughs> these are big these are real life problems these are real life things yeah true 
very real life. Let's talk some crap about you now. You just did. Did I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, well, fair enough. I don't really you feel just, like I was talking crap. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to move things around to facilitate what I think is, you know, an improvement for my surroundings, having no idea it impacted you so badly. So I apologize. All right. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about from the comment section? I thought that uh, I thought there were more comments. It was either Andrea or we've been Brit. Someone's have asked us more questions about this. Andrea made a comment about well, both Kate and, and Andrea looked like they were like not necessarily saying to talk about it right the second, but which we just did anyway. <laughs> um, but just as something for a future episode and then um yeah this is fun for everyone listening to l- us reading even more exciting than a book well and, and so andrew makes a good point about someone always telling you what to do that's a place <laughs> we have gone back and forth with a lot too because yeah. we both have strong opinions of about how things should be done who does we do we do I have hard. I hardly have strong opinions about anything. <laughs> You're being funny. I am. F- I'm just naturally funny. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that came to mind as I was reading Andrea's comments is um, one piece of information I really wish I knew about both of us is that both hyper empathy and ADHD and autism, you know, are different expressions of fight or flight. Now they present really differently, but when you talk about someone always telling you what to do, what we don't always factor in is that being told what to do is typically received against one side of the fight or flight scale. So when someone tells you what to do, it's either going to like trigger your ego and you're going to be like, oh, don't tell me what to do. Or you're going to feel shut down by it and you're going to feel almost like you go into that depressed mode of like, oh, oh, why would they tell me that? You know, and you and you just start internalizing everything and both ultimately shut down any forward progress in a relationship, unfortunately. But what we don't do often enough, I think, is tease apart the goals of communication and why those things become so triggering in the first place and and one of the bigger challenges is that if we're constantly living in fight or flight which I believe neurobiodiversity does live in fight or flight and the goal is to try and downregulate, and you have to put more energy into downregulating, then that type of communication where you're really trying to work together is exponentially more difficult because you're both in fight or flight and you both inadvertently trigger each other's like need to protect from tiger so You know, this is an area where understanding how to transition into and out of conversations or be respectful of other people's feelings or even like purposefully search for others' feelings during these conversations is really, really key. And when we've been able to do that, you and I have been able to transition transition through pretty much all of our challenges, especially with the last three years of, you know, bringing an infant home and everything he surprised us with in the last year with his diagnoses and whatnot. So, you know, you have to find a place where you can take... What the hell is that? Oh, that's my coffee maker. Telling me my coffee will no longer be hot. Okay, cool. 
I'm glad that made it on the show. <coughs> Continue. So I'm just, I'm just saying that. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't either. I fell asleep. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> that beep woke me up. Oh, I'm up. I'm up. So I was, I was on that whole path by myself. Yeah, I don't know what you, where you were going with that one. Oh, I was on the journey Maybe you need and some I, coffee. I got off on the, I got off the off ramp and headed straight to Target. Got a pillow, took a nap. Oh, that's <laughs> insulting. Okay. <laughs> Is it? I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I just feel totally alone on the road now. Well, no, it just because sometimes I, you lose me because you say stuff and I'm just like, I don't know what she's talking about. You know this. This is a current, it's a theme. Well, this is fun to listen to, I bet. Well, no, I mean, look, I'm not offended. It's, um... You don't, would, you don't even know what you were talking about. Well, the coffee maker, I lost track of it also. So I'm just... I was talking about the challenges of trying to problem solve in the middle of fight or flight and how almost impossible it is. Yeah. So... I think that's where I was headed with the whole concept, but you don't appear to have anything to say about that. It's it's I can't grasp onto like long uh winded not wind not long <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I was trying to think of that's not the way I want to say that. Okay, give me a minute. Some concept. Let me think of an eloquent way to say this. Hold okay. on. What you said was very well said. <laughs> And I'm happy to contribute as soon as I understand it. <laughs> it's very polite of you. I appreciate that. Yes. I'm can sorry you, I lost you. Can you condense it to like one sentence? I just think that when someone's always telling you what to do, I, at least when I feel like you're always telling me some, like what to do. if I, I'm if telling I, you what to do? In the moments where I feel like you're always telling me what to do, if my fight or flight is triggered, I really tune you out. And, if, and I know the same is true when it's reversed. I so. must have been in fight or flight just then. You terrified me. I think you were in freeze, actually. I think oh. you were proving my point on the freeze side. You were shutting down. Maybe. You were disengaging. You were like, I'm not going to listen. It, 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 it's, it, I have a hard time sometimes. Don't get mad. No, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Actually, I think it's a good thing that you demonstrated the point because I don't think we spend enough time talking about the freeze side of the responses and the shutdown side of the responses. And um, I know I feel I feel like I spend a lot of time trying to educate and point out and recruit, you know, and campaign our family members to understand Declan's shutdown processes, because when you're shut down, you you we don't have the opportunity to fully express ourselves because we literally shut down like your body goes into freeze. I always picture and I think of you when I do this, too. It's like a triggered thought. But every time I think of the freeze response of the fight or flight process i think of that scene that terrified me for decades of my life from jurassic park with the two kids in the kitchen hiding from the uh, what are the name of the velociraptors yes that opened the doors yeah you know and then and, and in that moment you know that your predator is smart enough to open a door and hunt you out you know and you're totally just frozen and you're not thinking, you're not processing, like you're literally just fighting for your life in that moment. You're not going through any of those other feelings. And so every time I think about freeze, I think about, yeah, I would freeze in that moment. And that's neurologically what happens to everyone. You know, you start disconnecting from your feelings and you just start thinking about, how am I going to get out of this room? <laughs> I mean, I'm terrified for life about that scene. So All right. It's a great demonstration. It's not my, I didn't, look, I, I appreciate you crediting me with that film. 
<laughs> me and Steven. Right, you know. Me and Steven Spielberg and uh, Michael Crichton. Wow, good memory. We did a we did a lot of work to make that. Of course, now I was only maybe nine years old. Oh. And no one else knew of the great influence I had on the film because I was sending telepathically messages to Michael and Steven. Right. Yeah. Creatively. Yeah, because I was like, please terrify my future wife. <laughs> I was. I was super terrified. So that she can talk about this on our podcast someday. <laughs> <laughs> but that that is what that freeze feeling, that shutdown feeling, you know, can feel like. And sometimes it can be even just marginal of that where someone says something and snaps at you and you just feel your whole body just shut down. You're just like, oh, God, you know, I'm not going to respond to that. And and then how do you recover from that? Well, that's a good, I don't know. Good question. Well, y- depression is something that you deal with. So how do you recover when, when someone does that to you? Wait, what? Whenever you feel shut down, like. How do I recover? Mm-hmm. I just meander verbally and I wander out of the room. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm doing right now. Kind of like, bye, y'all. Yeah, uh, the old Irish goodbye just disappear what is an irish goodbye that's when you're at a party and you just leave instead of saying goodbye to the host oh why is that an irish goodbye i mean i don't know that's what irish people do apparently oh i had no idea they just bounce Hmm. it's like it's time to go and they just leave you never heard that term irish goodbye well so you've said it recently but i forgot to ask what it meant oh yeah that's my understanding it's not i mean hopefully it's not offensive to irish people can we stop offending everyone (laughs) <laughs> Jeez, i'm so afraid of i'm not trying to i'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand so i'm, I'm uh, i feel like understanding I'm to poke fun. understanding brings compassion yeah okay well that's what it, i don't think you have to be compassionate about the irish goodbye it's because most people like me at least maybe maybe not most people maybe maybe it's not maybe it is just me and a few select few but it's uh yeah like when i'm at a party and it's like i'm ready to leave i just want to go i don't want to say goodbye <laughs> <laughs> i don't want you know it's like you have like when you leave a family, re- like a family reunion, like I remember we would oh, leave yeah. family reunions, they're like, oh Party my God, nights. you got to say, yeah, hug everybody and you got to give me a kiss. Well, and that's a super awkward thing, especially because, you know, sensory avoidant and sensory seeking behaviors. And my family members would just, you'd, you'd be like, what happened to what's his face? Be like, oh, he told he took off two hours ago. Look, like, look at that sneaky devil. Wow. He got out of here unscathed. But what if you're sensory avoidant and you don't want to hug everyone? Like that's a violation of your boundaries in that moment. Right. That's what I'm saying. So that's what I'm saying. The, 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 the sneaky cousin that gets out without being smooched. And I'd say hats off to your sneaky cousin then, because what I, what I can't stand is the badgering. Come give me a kiss. Come give me a kiss. Come give me a kiss. That's badgering. Yeah. Badgering the witness. I mean that we should not do that. Even if we're family, if someone is, uncomfortable and in that moment yeah, being but how would you know avoidant, people but then like if someone's like okay give me a hug and you like really didn't want to hug that person if someone like you're pauses, gonna hug them because you're socially like you're socially um what's the word i'm looking for like awkward. obligated but you okay so we've had this conversation before about like how do we stand up for ourselves and you've talked about the awkwardness of being i will work. not hug you and i will not let you Touch me with your mustache. <laughs> right. So do you violate your own boundaries for the sake of someone else's ego because they want to hug and you desperately don't? I don't know. How yeah, is that I any guess. different from letting the employees walk up and be like, hey, I'm just going to you know, vomit all over you and not tell you what this is so you can't be prepared. And so you're always taking the fall Vomiting. for someone else's needs. 
Who's vomiting on you? I said word vomiting. Oh, gotcha. I thought you. I was like, who's who's walking up and just vomiting on you? Well, we've talked about how your employees, like, if you could just say, hey, you need to preface this with like a headline that says, hey, I'm just going to update you. Right. Or if you're when you go to leave, you go, hey, I'm going to leave and I'm not sure, you know, if I want to exchange, you know, touches with you. I'm feeling sensory avoidant right now. Like we should have the opportunity. We are not evolved enough as a species to do that. No, we got to get there, though. We are not. We got to get there. So so you're uncomfortable and you just have to uh, compromise yourself. Yep, that's the way it works. So how do you learn to stand up for yourself? You don't. You get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that explains why these things are on the free side of the scale. I mean, right. you're proving my point. But as family members, we should learn to recognize the other person's emotional cues and understand that every exchange is two parts. You don't just get what you want because you can badger someone to death. And I and I experience my own family. I have family members. You have family members? Sorry, I took a breath. I have family members who struggle with this very same concept. Like they they are so they I don't know whether they are just naturally unaware or they just choose to be unaware for the sake of, you know, are they listeners? Dominance? I don't know. Okay. But I have Give them hell. But I have other family members that constantly just feel threatened. They feel dominated. They feel, you know, just destroyed that they are never given the chance their their feelings and their boundaries are never respected because they're badgered to death with requests and i think that we need to say we this is a mental health podcast we talk about anxiety we talk about adhd we talk about autism and depression you know we talk about hyper empathy these are all variations Why do you always have to lump in your empathy with with, with because all you know the on things, the other side with the real problem on the other side is empathy deficit disorder it's on both sides of the scale. You can either have way Wait. too much empathy or absolutely So you're dealing no with Ed? I'm not, but it is on the side of the scale. Okay. It is. Okay, I believe e- you. E- empathy deficit is a big thing. It's actually like on the Some scale. Some of us have r- real problems, Rochelle. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Someone's got to play devil's advocate over here. Fair enough. Well, you know, there's separate groups for empaths because it, it's so consuming to always have your feelings, you know, betray you and and everything like that. But the point is that this is we there are multiple families that deal with this and people who struggle to claim their own boundaries in the name of, hey, I'm uncomfortable. And in this moment, I'm sensory avoidant. Right. You know, and how many of our close friends and family who we count on to love us enough to protect us completely just steamroll that whole that whole moment. And then just, well, I want the kiss and I want the hug and I'm going to get what I want, you know, and that's that's harmful. Yeah, that pushes people further into anxiety and further into depression. And it's not being part of the problem being part of the that is being part of the problem. It's not being solution part of the solution the you're looking for. There you go. I did. I'm dyslexic, you know, just. That's right. Uh, it's a real thing, and I and my heart goes out to everyone that that deals with it. And it's not something we're unfamiliar with. We experience it also. Yes. I'm trying to think of what we're going to call this episode. I can't. I can't find a, a good name in my brain. The transition to hell and back. <laughs> sort of. The transition to hell and back. I don't know. I mean, that's our. We talked about where we started to where we are now. We've we've been through hell and back. You know, this is not an easy process to illuminate mental health to 
seek out the medical and, men and mental help that you need in order to start overcoming the different aspects that end up holding us back whether it's you know we feel too much for other people so we sacrifice ourselves or we have so much anxiety we can't accomplish our dreams like sales i know i was sorry is, thanks is, for pointing is, out my speech yeah so you're dyslexic and you're southern <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean to be southern hey y'all going for two different words be yourselves y'all i couldn't pick a word fast enough sorry that's all right I, I, I can't help myself. I have very little filter. Hey, I mean, now that I understand, see, here's, we talk about compassion. Now that I understand that your need to autocorrect me is just part of a communication clarification process to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. I don't take it uh, offensively anymore. Yes. You put the ass in compassion. <laughs> I've never heard that. I just made it up. Okay, well, there you go. There's the name of the episode. <laughs> the ass and compassion. <laughs> I don't know. If that is, is that? <laughs> I don't know. We'll scare listeners away. Oh, no. Every time I come up with a title for an episode, people get butthurt. Um, let me think. Do we want to really quickly just cover this last bit from Brit? Absolutely. Um, and welcome, Brit. Welcome, Brit. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, she said that she was very happy to have found our podcast. She's dealing with ADHD, which can't be fun. And probably in a perfect place to find our show. Hopefully, yeah. Um, seeing as, uh, you know, we are kind of talking. We, we, I mean, we kind of bounce all over the place. We talk a lot about autism, but, you know, talk about ADHD and how it's... Uh-oh, I hear a little person moving. Um, how it's a struggle. Right. Especially if you have both, I think. But um, one of the things she mentioned was my music, which thank you for listening. Uh, I uh, Yeah, no, I don't have my music available on Spotify. Well, we'll have to um, fix that. But I do have it available on SoundCloud, some of it. If people want to listen to it, you can just look me up, Blake Fertig on SoundCloud. Um, but maybe I'll put some elongated, elongated, some extended versions of my stuff on uh, on Spotify so that those that are interested in listening can listen. Most um, of you don't know, though, when we first started dating, since it's applicable to this episode, yeah, Blake used to record ringtones for me, like special ringtones that I would put on my phone. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> I used to love them because just out of pride for the uh, music that Blake was creating, I would, I would never hesitate to leave my phone um, on full volume. And so then out of the blue, it would just start ringing, ringtone, ringtone. Do you remember? Annoying yes. ringtone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was because uh, I, I found some app that had um, like auto-tune. Right. And oh, so yeah, yeah. I, I made a... <laughs> you didn't really sell my music very I well. I can't sing. So. By me making a song called Ringtone. It was, it was That is awesome. a ringtone. But it was just... To, it was literally supposed to be an annoying ringtone. So it was just me saying ringtone annoying ringtone in a very annoying auto-tuned <laughs> voice it and people it was driving rochelle's uh, customers uh fellow co-workers, co-workers yeah. nuts but you know what we were in an account uh, account management department and it was stressful as hell and so they enjoyed your voice ringing far greater than the sniper rifle that used to ring oh was that was fun that's another down. fun dating story it was the first time i i remember like staying with rochelle and uh it was our first date actually was it no it wasn't yeah, our, it was no our first like date. i'm no it was our first date that i slept with you 
no, at your, no, no, at your that's place. Not what I was that's what I was, I was saying. saying. We were sleeping next to each other. Oh, different story. Yeah, and oh right, like Rochelle had this sniper rifle thing, and she's like, "Well, no, it's because uh, you know it could be four o'clock in the morning. You never know when someone's going to need you." <laughs> Which is great because Rochelle is impossible to get in, whole, uh, in touch with because she doesn't have the sniper rifle. Uh, that's just how I felt every time I got anymore. a work email. So that's. But anytime she got an email, yeah, a work or uh, email or a text, it was in the middle of the night, like super loud. Right. And I was like, change that. And she's like, no, it's for my work. You're trying to stifle me. I did say that. I did. I had no idea that there was something called sound sensitivity at the time though i had no idea sensory perception or sensory processing and sensory sensitivities were a thing i, I was clueless. so you were just but so but i clearly had those sensitivities i just thought you just were but, but ass <laughs> see this is my point so people you shouldn't have to wait until someone gets a diagnosis to give them the benefit of the doubt true point yeah you want to do a, you want to do five minutes on that? No, but you can. I mean, you deserve to. No, I'm just saying that the sound sensitivity thing that was that was rough because you know your aunt and your mom and your cousin all came and stayed, and uh, your aunt had to have her shake at three thirty in the morning. It wasn't that and bad. Whatever time it was, seven thirty. But it was a. But it, it was, was just like blender, oh, yeah. and, and it was like oh, I didn't realize that we uh, moved in next to a um, Jamba Juice. That was jarring, yes. Yeah, but or, it was it was unintentional. Or, or Rochelle having to blow dry her hair oh my next gosh. to my head. See, that's why I don't blow dry my hair to this day. Is because we didn't have one of those master bathrooms with the door, and so every time I would try and blow dry my hair, oh my god, what are you doing? And I was like, oh my, god, I can't go. My hair. Have you seen my hair? Like it does not function well if I don't blow dry it. But I changed my whole routine because the blow dryer bothered you so badly. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I didn't try. I did. I just had no way of predicting those things were going to bother you. He's just so sensitive. I, I did know <laughs> that you were sensitive, but I had no idea why. Just saying. You gave me a lot of shit for those types of things. So Well, and, you know, likewise, my family's very tribal. We have no problem, like, all coming together and sleeping together on each other's, like, floors and couches. Like, there was always a lot of us. We, we, we just traveled in groups. That's what we did. I know. And you were the first person in my life to ever. It's a lot it. of boring people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's not fair. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's Just, not fair. We've worked hard for our personalities, Blake. We've tried really hard. All right. Well, I was. I, I like how I made a joke and you <laughs> shut me down. I didn't try to shut you down. I'm just saying. Um, but I want to say thank you so much to everyone that does listen to this. Jeez. Oh, it's my new neighbors. Mm, oh, next door neighbors upstairs. That totally threw me off. Um, thank you to everyone that listens to the show. Share the show, please. Uh, join the Facebook group. Um, all that kind of good stuff. Go to Rochelle's website, which is what? RochelleChandler.com. To get all kinds of Rochelle advice and uh, to, get, to, to give Rochelle some 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 business for her business where she helps you and, and does all the Rochelle things that she does for me. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, let me think. Anything else also, to subscribe cover? to your favorite um, podcast streaming site so oh, yeah. you get Make notified sure you of subscribe. new episodes. Yeah, we, that's right. We do sincerely, you know, schedule episodes every Sunday. We make it a priority. Um, however, it was your birthday last week. We didn't even mention happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Happy birthday. So last Sunday was happy birthday. Yep. And then it was um, Declan's birthday four days prior. Yep. Did a lot of birthdays. And then the day before that was my show. 
It was. So it was really two weeks ago that I did my, my stand-up. Yeah, and then we were quarantined with COVID the week before that. Well, kind of. But so unless there's really strong extenuating circumstances, we what work- we're saying is excuses, excuses. <laughs> subscribe and we just have subscribe. plenty. Of, yeah, but just subscribe because eventually we might come back. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Oh goodness! But yeah, come. Uh, I but I do enjoy uh, commenting. Well, in commenting, I in reading everyone's comments. It you know it just gives me a, a better idea of uh, what people are digging about the what we're doing. Absolutely. So that, so that we keep doing it. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's a wrap for today, and yeah, we're definitely we've done plenty of talking. Well, that's fair. All I right. appreciate everything you shared today. Thank you. You too. Thanks. I mean, and I listened to most of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just just to wrap this up, one of the earliest mistakes I think I made in our relationship was I used to say, "This will sound familiar to you." I was so accommodating. I used to say, "You know what, Blake." If you only listened 50% of what I say and you only remember 50% of that, you're doing great. Do you remember when I used to say that? You did. You used to also say there are no wrong answers. <laughs> I w- What a crock. Yeah, well, I, I, I meant well with both. I, my heart was in my intentions. Yeah, your heart was in the right place, but your brain was somewhere else. <laughs> my brain was not thinking for me. No. But I used to, I used to say that. You see how lucky I used to be? oh man those were the days (laughs) i'm just when i didn't have to remember anything and uh there were no wrong answers right that's true that was good times see i'm i'm very supportive yeah now she's not accommodating at all well now i have a child i have to defend and protect she accommodates the crap out of him though which is good well yeah i mean maybe too much we're raising a self-esteem, so I don't think I accommodate him as much as people think I do. But at the same time, you know, no one will really ever see me with him 100% of the time. So Well, it's true. No one ever sees me with him 100% of the time. That's true. So. it's a fair point. All right. I think we're going to take off. I'm getting a look. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, just say keep being true to yourselves. And if you have questions or comments or topics that you'd like us to discuss, please put it in the Facebook group. We would love to... C- add you in um, to the content every week because we have agreed to be raw and transparent about life. And as you are doing the same, we would love to bring those topics to life. Yes. Yes. All right. We will be back and hopefully sooner <laughs> than, than later. Um, I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And that's the end. Cue the music. Cue the music.